Good morning, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, good to see you. Uh, I'm excited to be in worship with you this morning, to be in God's Word and to sing. Uh, before we get to that, uh, let me go over a few things. The first is that our youth are not meeting this evening. Uh, instead, we have a candlelight carol service tonight at 6 p.m. that we're very excited about. So if you are able to come to that, if you would like to bring your friends or your neighbors, um, it will be a joyous time uh, hearing our choir, being able to sing together um, and all of that. So please come at 6 p.m. to that. Last, uh, two more things. Church Life Night is meeting this Wednesday night. It's the last Wednesday night before we break for a little bit. So if you can come this Wednesday night, join us for a time for dinner, for fellowship, uh, for some lessons. It will be uh, worth your time. And lastly, uh, the children's Christmas program is going to be this coming Sunday night the 18th at 6 p.m., and importantly, after the program, um, everyone is invited to a dinner together afterwards across the street. So please make time to come next week as well for that. Christ invites us to worship him. He gives us that strength and power, even though there is so much going on this month in our lives. There is so much that we are struggling with. There's so much that's on our minds. So ask God to give you uh, some clarity, the ability to worship him this morning, to quiet your hearts and your minds. Let's do that now as the music plays.
Would you stand for our call to worship, which is from Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Would you join together as we sing hymn number 215? Uh, and our title in the bulletin is, How Great Our Joy. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Oh, gracious God, we do come to adore you this morning. We give you praise and thanksgiving for assembling us together as the body of Christ to lift high the cross. Oh, gracious God, help us to remember the words of the book of Ruth. Blessed be the Lord, for you have not left us without a Redeemer. Thank you, Father, for being our precious Savior, the one to whom we give all glory and honor, uh, the one to whom we come to worship in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who taught his disciples to pray. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we have come to our third week of Advent, and our Advent reading from the Scriptures is from Luke 1, verses 49 through 55. I will read the light print, and you will respond with the bold. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the mouth. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You may be seated. If you were here last Sunday night for worship, we heard from one of our elders, Will Hill, and he said how, he showed us how the Old Testament is really all about the advent of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, the coming King. In First Peter we read that concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. All of Scripture points to Christ. We are looking back on the coming of Christ in the flesh, and we look forward to his coming again. In this scripture that we just read for our Advent reading, this is uh, Mary's song. She sings this beautiful song in worship, and in some ways it's become everyone who trusts in Christ, it's become our song as well. As Jesus said himself, blessed is everyone who hears the word of God and keeps it. And so as we celebrate Advent, we praise God for sending His Son, Jesus. And we can use this scripture passage or, or, or another, whichever one it is, that would help us. We can take a few moments to silently pray on our own in worship and in adoration for God to Jesus. And if there is time, if you have a, a moment to offer your requests and confessions to God, He hears you. And he loves you. So let's take a few moments to pray silently and individually, and I will lead us in a time of corporate prayer afterwards. Let's pray.
Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, holy is your name. Your mercy is for each person who fears you from generation to generation. God, this is not a fear of punishment nor a fear of your wrath, but it's a godly fear of your power, of your majesty, of your grace, and your love for sinners such as us. Lord, we know as we're about to read in Isaiah that you sent your son Jesus to be our substitute so that we would never have to live under the fear of your wrath and punishment for our sin. For everyone who trusts in you by faith walks in total peace without fear of future judgment and with the truth that you see us as you see your son Jesus. Father, you have filled the hungry with good things, and you will not stop doing that. As we approach you in prayer this morning and this month, we pray you would restore our trust in you, that you will, in fact, continue to give us what we need. We pray you would show us your strength, Father, that you would reveal your power to us in the day-to-day struggles that each one of us has. Jesus, you are to be honored and lifted high in this place. You are worthy of all of our praise. Holy Spirit, we pray you would help us in our groaning when we often have no words to pray. God, would you be gracious to us in these ways? Lord, as we think about this church, we pray that you would be gracious to your choir tonight and give them the ability to sing that exceeds even their own training and practice. God, we think about our missionaries across the world and the various opportunities they have this month to love and share your word. We pray you would encourage them with good fruit, Lord, that you would give the dead life, that you would make salvation spring up in places that we would never expect. And Dear Father, the busyness of December is in full swing, and so we pray that you will make the most of our two loaves of bread, of our limited energy. Your son took on human limitations and knows just what it's like. God, we pray that your name would be made great in our limitation and in our weaknesses. We pray you would bless this service. We pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
Would you pray with me? God, as the offering plate gets passed around, we pray that you would give us hearts that don't feel uh, under some kind of obligation to give, but hearts that are eager to give. Lord, you have given us all things, so we pray that you would enlarge our hearts, that as you have given to us, that we would give back to you, to your church, to the work of your kingdom. Would you bless these tithes and offerings for those ends, that people would be blessed by you through them, that people would be helped, that this church and its ministries would continue and be strengthened. Lord, we thank you for this time to give. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn number 222, which is while shepherds watch their flocks. Let's continue singing with hymn 222. You may be seated. I invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, is where we'll be beginning. Isaiah 52, verse 13. We are... In the Advent season, and we're looking at different passages in which we're celebrating the arrival of Christ. We're also looking at passages that look forward to the coming Messiah. 
And we're in Isaiah, in one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible. And interestingly, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament more than all other Old Testament prophets combined. And I think you'll see why in just a minute. This portion of Isaiah is part of Isaiah's servant songs, where Isaiah describes the coming Messiah as a servant, as a suffering servant. And there's a moment in Acts chapter 8, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 8, where there's an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading Isaiah. And Philip is sent to him by the Holy Spirit to meet and talk with him and, and help him. And he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks the eunuch this. And the eunuch says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And the passage he was reading was Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8. And the eunuch said to Philip, from Acts chapter 8, now I'm quoting that, it says, about, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now this is my goal today with Isaiah 52 and 53 is to tell you about the good news of Jesus in which we see so clearly here in Isaiah. This was written 2,700 years ago or around about there, and this is the Messiah that God's people were looking forward to. This is who they had their hope and trust in. So if you would read with me Isaiah 52, starting at verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? 
And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me for one moment. God, this passage preaches on its own, so we pray that you would cause us to hear and receive your word this morning. Would you show us this good news of the Messiah, of Jesus? Lord Jesus, we are here to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you just experienced, this is a long and detailed passage about the coming suffering servant, the coming Messiah, who would suffer for a sinful people, who would die for a sinful people. And we're going to look at three verses from the middle of this passage, which I think touches on many of the other verses from this chapter, from these verses. As we have sung many times in this church this month, the hymn that is, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, has a line in it that says, Come to earth to taste our sorrows. And this passage illustrates this truth. So we're going to look at three points which correspond to each of the three verses we're looking at. The first is the servant's vicarious suffering. The second is the servant, our substitute. And the third is the Lord's will for our salvation. Let's look at Number one, the servant's vicarious suffering. Look at verse 4 with me from 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The word vicarious is not used very often, and some of us had an idea of what it might mean or what it could mean, and it's good to get a refresher on what this word means. Vicarious means something done or suffered by one person as a substitute for another or to the benefit of another person. Vicarious means something done or suffered by one person as a substitute for another or to the benefit of another. It's a fancier way of saying taking the punishment someone else deserves upon yourself. Now I want to give a few stories, a few examples of what this means. There is a show that Elizabeth and I watched, uh, I don't know, a year ago or so, a few months ago. And in the show, the father confesses to the crime that his son actually committed. 
The son was going to go off to prison, perhaps for his entire life. And so the father confesses to the crime and tries to convince people that he was the one who committed the crime so that he could take his son's punishment on himself so his son would not be punished, so his son could go on living a normal life. In many ways, our parents often suffer vicariously for us in some ways. They work hard, they give things up so that their kids will have a better life, so that their kids will not have to go through the same hard things that they have gone through. One more example of of this kind of vicarious suffering. There is a collection of essays, and this... This is a little odd, but it's wonderful how God gives each of us very unique interests and abilities. Because I found a a series of essays written about ten different deep-sea creatures. Maybe, maybe this relates to you. Maybe you love deep-sea creatures. I don't know. Um, But there is a story in there, a true story, of a famous octopus who reminded the author of her mother's sacrifice for her. Now, this story is interesting. I think there is a a submarine off the coast of California was going through the water. I think you say driving. I don't know. A submarine moving through the water. And it came upon an octopus. And over the course of four and a half years, it would see this octopus guarding its eggs, never moving. It was always in the same spot. And in fact, this animal wasn't eating, it was starving to death to protect the eggs. And once the eggs hatched, the octopus died. And the scientists who were observing this octopus called this four-and-a-half-year brooding period, the time that it's protecting its eggs so that they would hatch, the longest recorded time on earth for an animal to do this. And they said jokingly that this animal was a strong contender for the mother of the year. And so for this author to come across this story, she then goes on to describe the relationship with her mother, how her mother suffered so much for her sake. And it leads us to a, I think a, these stories and these examples, I think, give us some kind of understanding of what vicarious suffering looks like in real life. These are kinds of vicarious suffering where they take on the suffering as a substitute or as uh, the suffering for another person for their benefit. And the vicarious suffering of the servant in Isaiah is enough to lead us to wonder. It leads us into praise and worship all on its own. The servant revealed to us is Christ. He experiences our suffering. He experiences the death and separation from God that we ought to experience. He experienced it in our place to bless us. And in the passage we just read, the servant literally lifted our griefs, our sickness, our suffering upon himself. It says he loaded our pain on himself. He carried our sorrows and our suffering. The servant suffers not because of his own sin or because of his own actions. He suffers because he takes on 
the suffering and pain of our lives, of others. When it says in verse 4, we esteemed him stricken by God, that means that people blamed the servant of God for his own suffering. It was his fault. That's what everybody around him believed. It reminds us of the suffering of Job's, where his friends ask him, what have you done to anger God so much? What did you do to deserve this suffering? Because you must have done something. Your sin must have caused this. But Job was innocent. And often our first conclusion is similar, that if someone is suffering greatly, maybe it's because they deserve it. Or even if it's ourselves, we think, what have I done to deserve this suffering? But Jesus was completely innocent, and yet he carried our sorrows. He had all glory and splendor in heaven with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, in great community, and yet he emptied himself of that glory. He took on flesh to carry our grief and our sorrow and our sadness and our pain. He took these burdens upon himself because he loves you. He loves sinners. Jesus is the great high priest, as Hebrew says. He's been tempted in every way as we have, yet without sin. He's experienced the pain and suffering and sadness of this life, of being in these bodies. And in Hebrews chapter 4 says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus surely understands your struggles, your suffering, your temptations. And he is more than able to sympathize with you because he has lived them. So Jesus is the vicarious suffering servant, but he is more than that. He is our substitute. So the second point, Jesus, or I'm sorry, the servant, our substitute. Jesus doesn't just represent us in our suffering. He doesn't just understand us. He stands in our place as our substitute. Look at verse 5 with me. It says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The servant, Christ, is the substitute for sinful people. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The curse of the law is death. To break God's law means death. All sin has the penalty of death. And Christ took all our sins upon him on the cross. And for them, he died on the cross for our sins. And we know that the cross was used to kill as a death penalty for thieves, for criminals, for murderers. And Isaiah 53, 12 says Jesus was numbered among these types of people. He was numbered with the transgressors. Martin Luther, several hundreds of years ago, said this about this, about the substitutionary 
atonement of Christ. He said, on the cross, now Jesus is a sinner who bears the sin of Paul, of Peter, who denied Christ, of David, who was an adulterer and murderer. In short, he has and bears all the sins of all men in his body. He took these sins committed by us upon his own body in order to make satisfaction for them with his own blood. This is what Jesus, the suffering servant, has done as our substitute. Back in the fourth century, in case, uh, well, some background on this, there is a lot of controversy surrounding this idea of this doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus or Jesus as our substitute. But it has been taught for all of church history. Back in the fourth century, someone named Athanasius said that Jesus surrendered his body to death instead of all. He, he, he surrendered his body to death instead of all and offered it to the Father. And one more quote, this guy named John Calvin, who's a theologian, said, We must remember the substitutionary suffering and death of Christ, or we will live as if God's righteous vengeance, which the Son of God took upon himself, still hangs over us. We must remember that the servant, the suffering servant, is our substitute, that Jesus took upon God's righteous justice against sin, that we deserved on himself. There is an image of this in the Old Testament when a priest would prepare an animal for a sacrifice. And God gave the people of Israel the sacrificial system as a way to understand how God could forgive a sinful people. So when a priest would prepare an animal for sacrifice, he would put his hand on the head of the animal and many believe that when he put his hand on the head of the animal, he was transferring symbolically the guilt and the sin of the people upon this animal. And when this animal was killed, the blood would cover the sin. It would represent the forgiveness of God. The justice God demands for sin is covered by the blood of the sacrifice rather than the person who sinned. And now we see that this suffering servant, Jesus, is both the priest and the sacrifice. He offers himself as our sacrifice in our place. He is the judge judged in our place as one other theologian said. So Jesus Christ died for your sins. He took your transgressions upon himself as your substitute. And then he also died for you and for me, as we read in our passage, to bring us peace, to bring us healing. By his wounds we are healed. By his death we live. So Jesus carries and understands your sorrows. Jesus is your substitute. And this is good news because it is all part of God's will for salvation. 
As we look at the Lord's will for salvation, we are at verse 6 now, which says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All people throughout all time have turned their own way since Adam and Eve. Many people in our world, in our day today, don't believe that God exists. But many people are beginning to see that people are not actually generally good people. I think you might find more people who don't believe in God, yet believe that people aren't as good as we might have thought they were to begin with. In the U.S., at least, we, we love to turn our own way. We love to look at ourselves. We know social media points this out so well, but we do it in our churches, our traditions, our preferences, our politics, our relationships, our work, our money. We try to get everything out of them for ourselves. That is our natural inclination we don't naturally love our neighbors. We love naturally ourselves. We are born into sin and loving and turning towards ourselves. And God knows this from the beginning with Adam and Eve, who were the first to turn their own way. God had a plan. He had a plan, and in his will for salvation, it's amazing that he didn't just remove this people from existence, but he said, I will give you, I will provide a way of salvation, a way to be reconciled to me, a way to restore our relationship so that you can live with me again. He willed to redeem us, and he offered himself for our sins. There is no human on earth who can take your sin or my sin upon themselves or of all mankind. There is no person who is good enough to represent all of mankind. Someone must represent both mankind and God if our relationship with God is to be restored. And the Lord willed from before all time to lay the sin of all mankind on his eternal son Jesus so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life would have forgiveness of sin both past present and future would be given a new heart that's no longer turned inward on itself but is turned outward in worship of God and love for neighbor Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him you might think of that verse from Genesis where the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. One day soon, that same, that Jesus promised in Genesis, who is illustrated in Isaiah, will crush the head of the serpent once and for all. We know because Scripture tells us that Jesus has defeated death. In his resurrection and his life, death can hold him, death cannot hold him down. Jesus now promises that life to all who come to him. But we still live, of course, with death and suffering. We are still living in a body that is racked by sin and suffering. And now Jesus, today, 
He carries your suffering. He walks with you in your suffering. He takes away the sting and the fear of death because he experienced the eternal separation from the Father that you and I deserve for our sin. But we will never, those who trust in Christ will never experience that separation from the Father because Christ, as our substitute, did that for us. The death that Jesus experienced was a separation that you will never experience or know firsthand if you trust in Christ. Because we know that he will never leave you, not even in death. I want to close with a story that a friend of mine who's a pastor named Travis uh, told me about. He was studying this passage as well. And there was a a pastor in Philadelphia named Donald Barnhouse many years ago who told this story, and he said that um, at the beginning of his story, his wife passed away. And as he was driving his children to their mother's funeral, on the way a truck went by them on the side next to them, and it cast a shadow over the car, cast a shadow over the car. And Donald turned to his kids and said, Do you see that truck? Would you rather be hit by the truck or by the shadow of the truck? And his youngest kid was the one to actually answer and said he'd rather be hit by the shadow of that truck rather than the truck itself. And then Donald said, okay, I want you to realize something about this. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Because, he said, Jesus was hit by the truck, so mommy just has to go through the shadow. Jesus was run over by death, so your mom only has to go through the shadow. It will be okay. Jesus became your sin. He took it all. He died your death. He rose to life and gives you his righteousness so that not even death itself holds you down. Death itself casts only a momentary shadow. We can say with Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We could go on to say you carry my sorrow. You suffered for my sin and you will never leave me. And I'll end with this passage from 2 Corinthians, which says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because the suffering servant has come and he is coming again. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there is so much to mine from Isaiah 53 and elsewhere um, as we reflect upon your love for us that is so undeserved 
that we have done everything to avoid, yet you have shown it to us. You preach it to us again. So, Lord, we pray that we would receive it, that we would be led to worship and to praise, and that we would share this news with others. As we have been loved by you, show us how to love others. God, we thank you for being our substitute and being in our place, suffering the death that we should have deserved. Lord, help us to understand these things more. Give us clarity as we approach your word, just as the eunuch in Acts chapter 8 asked for clarity. Guide us, we pray, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our last hymn, which is hymn number 230. Je- uh, I'm sorry, Thou Who Was Rich Beyond All Splendor. Let's stand and sing hymn 230. Receive God's blessing from Hebrews 13 and respond in faith with your amen. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.